It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT. And uh, hi to all my uh, Raider fans out there. And go Raiders. And now... Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT in studio today with Bobby on a busy show. Busy show with some unfortunate breaking news also as we begin on Raider Nation, the flagship of the Silver and Black. And with a heavy heart, the news has been out before the show started. We'll wait for a statement from Mark Davis and the Raiders coming up here at some point when they are able to do it. But the Mad Bomber... Daryl LaMonica has passed away, one of the greatest Raiders of all time, an absolute legend. Uh, The news was broken by an affiliate of Fox out there in Clovis where he is from his son, and a lot of people have a heavy heart today, a very heavy heart on the passing of Daryl LaMonica. What we're going to do is we're going to wait and talk about it. You know, anybody can call in whenever they want because this guy had a big impact on everybody. But Fox 26 News, breaking former Raiders quarterback and Clovis native, Daryl LaMonica has passed away, according to his son, Brandon. He was 80 years old. Rest in peace. Uh, Josh Dubow put out Daryl LaMonica, was a two-time All-Pro, won the AP AFC Player of the Year in 1967, still holds the Raiders' single-season franchise record with 34 touchdown passes. In 1969, the nickname the Mad Bomber, one of the most unique people I've ever met, uh, one of the great Raiders I have ever met, a legend. He played in the AFL era, and he was arguably the best quarterback for a long period of time. And from Tom Flores to Ken Stabler after him to George Blanda to Derek Carr from the region he's from, for everybody. I've talked to a couple of people off the record today on this situation, on the passing of the Mad Bomber, and they all have a heavy heart. He was a great football player, a just a brilliant quarterback, playing in his time and the growth and birth of the Raiders and the brand of the Raiders. If you look into Raider history and the history of the Raiders in 1960 and before Al Davis and then the birth of Al Davis and the Raiders and all the success, you have to go back to its beginnings with Daryl LaMonica. He helped set the tone for the greatness of the Raiders. So we're going to get more into this tomorrow. We have an old interview. Bobby found two old interviews that I've done with him. We'll play one tomorrow on the show, and we'll act accordingly in the privacy of the family and when they release more news here. But it's a big one. They're all big. You know, there's a lot of Raiders over my career that I have met, and they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and when they pass away, it's a gut punch. Because what a blessing I've had in my life to get a chance to meet Daryl LaMonica many times. I'll talk about him more tomorrow, but hosting the Commitment to Excellence Awards every year in Oakland, he was always sitting front and center with his wife, right there, and unbelievable. And Because he was a former winner and a legend and very important person in all the lives of the Raider Nation. Uh, very heavy heart today. And we found out this news a little while ago and uh, talked to a couple of people Talked to two of his former teammates, and uh, they're heartbroken. So Daryl LaMonica, rest in peace. And we will pay proper tribute to him uh, following the Raiders 
as the Raiders will pay the ultimate tribute to him, Mark Davis, at Raiders.com and on all their social media platforms when the time is right. All right, the head coach of the Golden Knights, Peter DeBoer, is joining me exclusively at the bottom of the hour. That's a big get today because the Golden Knights have to win out. And they pulled Robin Leonard yesterday in the game, and Peter DeBoer wants to come on today and talk. And he's the head coach of a pro team in this town, so he will join us at the bottom of the hour as I talk about the Golden Knights and what they need to do and how they have to win outright. They put themselves in a really tough and difficult situation. Very difficult situation for the Golden Knights, unfortunately. And I give the coach credit. He's accountable. He's going to come on the radio and talk with us. I've interviewed him in the past. And uh, we'll talk about what they have to do in these next couple of games. There'll be a lot of conversations in the offseason about what's going to happen with the franchise if they sneak into the playoffs or if they're eliminated from the playoffs. But to get a big interview like this today, uh, we'll show him the respect and hopefully the city will get behind them running the table which a lot of people don't think they're going to be able to do is catch Dallas and the lost opportunity to catch the Kings. But this is pro sports. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you catch a miracle. Other times you're you're unlucky. So if you're a Golden Knight fan, spread the word. Peter DeBoer, at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to him about what the Golden Knights have in front of them in the next couple of days. And I'll get to some of the highlights a little bit later on in the show. We had an exclusive with Dave Ziegler, the GM, a week ago, the day after I interviewed Derek Carr. That's up at Raiders.com. He met the media yesterday. I went back with Bobby, and we watched the press conference again in preparation for the show. That's when my phone rang on Daryl LaMonica. And uh, we got a couple of sound bites I want to play. Before we get to them, this is Dave Ziegler's first ever draft with the Raiders. And the success that the Patriots have had at times. All GMs, young young executives who become GMs, they look forward to their first draft. Dave Ziegler now has a process, and he's gonna you're gonna hear from his process going forward here. But they ended up getting Devontae Adams. I think that was more important than a first or second round draft pick. What's gonna happen here over the next couple of months or weeks is Raider fans, a lot of them live in the past, which is great. The past of the Raiders is brilliant. So you can go to the past of the coach, the owner, Al Davis, making great draft picks. And then you can go through other eras where the Raiders didn't make draft picks that were good and successful. And some most recently. I liked Mike Mayock a lot. He was very transparent. He came on with us a bunch. Good guy. And he was working alongside John Gruden. They had an evaluation process. And they hit on some and they missed on others. Bill Belichick is hit on some and missed on others. The same thing happens. Coaches coach and the executives help pick the players. And now with the tradition of the Patriots and the Patriot way and the way that they value different position groups, going forward you're going to be talking about the way Ziegler goes through his process. He touched on that yesterday about the draft process getting back to normal and what he's thinking going into the draft next week. Yeah, I think the process this year felt, I'd say, back to, to normal, or what it had been in the past, just because the player access was there, um, the face-to-face communication was there, the one-on-one communication was there. So I think that's it, that provides um, a lot more value than um, the Zoom calls. And, and all that's beneficial, too, but I think we all know being able just to sit down and sit across from somebody and uh, get to know them, and, and it's just more personal. And with it being more personal, you get a better feel for the player um, and the person. 
And so I think it's been a lot more valuable because of that, that um, one-on-one access and the one-on-one communication that we were able to have this year that we weren't able to have in the past. And then there was also more opportunities to see the players. There was more all-star game access, right? Um, more pro days. Uh, you, could, you could go out and, and do private workouts and meet people one-on-one in, in, in an athletic setting. And so, yeah, it was a lot, it was a, a lot better process, um, and I think it was helpful to be able to have that access this year compared to the last couple of years. Yeah, last couple of years are really tough. And, again, we're not going to talk much about the past and the last regime that was here, but I did talk to Mike Mayock on that on Zoom calls with season ticket holders and in his office and issues about what they had to deal with. It was tough on the scouting department for every team around the league not having the access to the players dur- during COVID and, and how difficult it is to build a football team via the draft and what you need to do when you can't have the access to the players. So getting back to normal, pretty important. Dave Ziegler, the GM of the Raiders, talked about the depth in the draft, which hopefully it's good news for the Raiders as they're picking into the third round is where they begin. And hopefully there's some good players there. You know, every draft is different. There's always different narratives. Like and some of them are always the same, you know, each year, like there's none of there's, you know, these, there's, these players don't exist or, you know, so on and so forth. But I would answer that question and say, I do feel like there's good depth in this draft. Some positions are, are deeper than others. Um, you know, at the, the top of the board and the top of the talent of the board, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's good players in this draft and in, in, that you could draft in the first round, you could draft in the second round, you could draft in the third round, whatever. But so at the end of the day, I, I think the depth of this draft is strong. Yeah, so he said it's strong. I'll take his word on that. The question becomes, does he trade up into the second round, into the first round, to me would be pretty aggressive. And the only way you can do that, I would think, is you got to give up the future drafts to do it, right? So you got to go out and give up high picks to get into this draft. But this team wants to win now. It's a 10-win team that had a big offseason. Do we all understand that, how this can change and how Dave Ziegler's keeping it close to the vest, which he should do? There's an opportunity with this unit of players to win a championship quickly. Quickly, if everything goes right. And they, a lot has to happen because the schedule's brutal. Schedule's brutal. And they play in a tough division. So I think if he can move some players and get a draft pick, but will that draft pick be able to come in and play? Uh, Dave talked about Devontae Adams. That was the big move of the offseason, describing his work ethic and what he brings to the organization. Devontae is a worker, and he comes in with a purpose every day to get better. And so, you know, he's just a a dialed-in person. That's like, you know, you walk in, right, and and, um, for him this is – this is something that he loves to do, but this is a business for him, and it's a and it's a job that he takes very seriously. And he comes in with that approach. I mean, this guy comes in with an approach to win the day and to get better individually. And it's a it's approach it's an approach that um, I think is really good for our young players to see. Um, this guy's highly accomplished. Um, he's been very productive in his career. There's a reason for all those things. And you kind of see that in his approach day to day. Yeah, I like that. Remember, this is voluntary time here, everybody. And Devontae Adams is, is blowing everybody away with his work ethic and what's going on there. So with all of this, I expected that. I mean, look at the money he's making. And his best friend is Derek Carr, and Derek Carr's a workaholic. So both of these guys, you name a quarterback and a wide receiver, a top wide receiver and a, and a quarterback near the top of the list, somewhere in your list of Derek Carr, no one's going to outwork them too. 
Those guys are going to be animals. All they're going to do is work. they got a brand-new facility. They throw in the park. They hang out together. Their wives are great friends. These guys are going to outwork everybody. So we'll see what happens. Dave Ziegler on being competitive in drafting players, which will have to be his strength, even though there's a lot of free agents here and players that are going to be re-signed. What about the new players that they're trying to bring in? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the competitive spirit part is, right, you're judged um, on the personnel side by uh, the players that you draft and how how well they produce and the types of players that they turn into for the organization. And so there's a competitive aspect of wanting to draft players. You want every single draft pick and every single player that you sign, you want that player to produce and overproduce um, in an ideal situation. And so there's a competitive aspect of that. Yeah, we want to have a great draft. We want to be um, sure you want to be known as a team that um, drafts well and that develops, you know, develops talent and all those types of things, um, whatever round that is. Um, We want to make sure that we're able to do that. All right. Uh, As I keep going with this, pro football talk confirming Raiders quarterback Daryl LaMonica, former Raiders quarterback, died earlier this morning, uh, confirmed by his son Brandon. He was 80 years old. LaMonica played at Notre Dame, then joined the Bills after being picked in the 24th round of the 1963 AFL draft. He uh, he, um, backed up Jack Kemp for four seasons before being traded to the Raiders and taking over their starting job. He would be named the AFL's MVP after leading the Raiders to Super Bowl II in his first season with the team. The Raiders would lose the AFL championship game to the Jets the next year and the Chiefs in the league's final season before the merger. LaMonica was named the 1969 AFL MVP by UPI and a two-time Pro Bowler after the merger. The nickname, the Mad Bomber, would remain for the Raiders starter throughout the 1972 season. So a nice deep dive on Daryl LaMonica as the words getting out around the country that he passed away. 702-365-9200 if you obviously want to pay respects as we open up the show. And we'll have more coming up here. I have a full show prepared. That's what Bobby did, and we worked on it days in advance. We'll be able to move things around here, and tomorrow we'll replay one of my conversations with Daryl LaMonica. The Raiders are fantastic with their department, their alumni department, and what they do with their former footage and the interviews and all that, and there'll be plenty of it when it comes to the Mad Bomber, especially heading into the draft. Chris in West Oakland, start us off here on the flagship. Hello, Chris. Go ahead, Chris. We got you. Okay, there we go. Um, you know, again, we seem like we're going through this all too often th- these days recently, but I guess that's what happens once we, we get older. Our heroes are getting older, and inevitably this starts happening. Uh, before I talk about the on-field stuff, I got to meet Daryl Monica probably a handful of times. I actually went to high school with one of his nieces. I, You know, back when I was a kid, a teenager, always just the nicest guy. Uh, you know, he'd shake your hands, he'd talk to you. I mean, he was just, and I'm sure you know with your dealings with him, I've never heard a person say a bad word about him. He just seems like he was a great guy in person. Uh, great, He was a great Raider, great great spokesman for the organization, and, and it's sad. But the other thing is, and maybe this is, always seems when somebody dies, we, we, we go back and remember this. I don't think he gets enough credit for just how great a player he was. Not good, great. This guy, the last half of the 60s, was better than Joe Namath. And if they would have won that AFL championship game in 68, like Al Davis always swore they were the best team and would have beaten the Colts instead of the Jets, 
you just wonder where would Daryl LaMonica's legacy be? Or even the next year when they, when they lost to the Chiefs at home in 69, if he would have won one Super Bowl, this guy might be mentioned with the, you know, the greats of the game because his numbers were as good as anybody. He was a, he was a gunslinger you know, in the old AFL before there was that many. And, and as Tom Flores, who he was traded for, and I'm sure you can have Freddie Bolitnikoff on there, this guy was an all-time great thrower of the football. That Mad Bomber name didn't come for any other reason. He had a cannon for an arm, was accurate, also could put touch on the ball. And again, maybe now the highlights will come out, people will talk about him. He'll get a little more credit because, really, this guy was one or two games away winning, whether it's a conference championship game or a Super Bowl. His name is mentioned there right along Kenny Stabler with the all-time grades. You just don't seem to hear LaMonica enough, and I hope that narrative changes. But again, rest in peace. He... He was the starting quarterback the first time my dad took me to a game, as I told you before, 72. He was a starter, still not stabler. He was one of my first heroes. And, again, it sucks when your childhood heroes die, but, you know, it's inevitable. But it also gives us a chance to reflect and look back. Rest in peace. Thoughts and prayers. Condolences to the LaMonica family. Sad day in the Raider Nation. But let's celebrate a great life because that's what he was, and he was a great football player and a great Oakland Raider and a great human being. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you later. Chris is a brilliant caller. That's a well-thought-out call on the passing of Daryl LaMonica. And what a life he had. He grew up in Central in the Central Valley of California. He played in the first-ever Little League World Series, lettered in four sports, and was an all-state quarterback at Clovis High School. They named the high school after him. They named the football stadium after him there. What a high honor there. And he turned down a professional baseball contract with the Cubs, and then went to the University of Notre Dame and was the team's starting quarterback for three seasons. In 30 total games from 1960 to 62, he had a 99 completions. He had a high completion percentage, eight touchdowns, 16 interceptions. He rushed the ball 144 times for 10 touchdowns. And he was known and people discovered him in the 1962 East-West Shrine game held at Kizar Stadium in San Francisco. He was 20 of 28 with 349 yards as the MVP of that game. And you got to go back in time, but not that far. I have an 83-year-old dad now. Uh, Daryl passed away at 80, and it hit me hard. You know, I talk to my dad every day, and you take every day as an important day here. And uh, Daryl LaMonica has had a big impact on me because he knew my name. He would see me and come up to me and say, hey, JT, and we'd have that conversation. It was very humbling. You know, other guys I meet over the decades, you know, they don't know him that well. You know, we have a nice conversation. Daryl would come up to me with his wife, and we had these beautiful conversations about sports. I'll never forget, and I'll talk about it more tomorrow, at a Commitment to Excellence Awards, I was sitting with the great Raider Mort, one of the great Raider fans of all time, with Daryl LaMonica, and Daryl got in a heated conversation with Mort. They both love each other. It was good, but heated about Mort talking about this era, what would have happened, kind of like Chris's call, this and that, and Daryl was kind of like really worked up about that era and what could have happened. And as Chris said, you know, if you look back at the history of the Raiders, they were in so many massive games, and they lost a lot of them. They lost a lot of these big games. You know, to Joe Namath in New York at Jay Stadium. They were better than the Chiefs. They lose to the Chiefs. The Chiefs go on and win a Super Bowl. You look at the 72 Dolphins, the legends of the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s. Where could the Raiders have been instead of three Super Bowls having seven or eight? That's how close they were. And if you go back to the AFL and the merger, 
where would the Raiders have been if they, they you know, they lost Super Bowl two to Lombardi and the Packers, but they were in the arena. They were in the game. And as Chris so eloquently put, if you look at LaMonica and the way he played compared to Namath, they were on the same level. But Joe Namath had the biggest win, arguably still in football history, beating the Colts in Super Bowl three. That could have been a LaMonica Super Bowl. So a lot happened in the history of the Raiders. There's, more, there's people who know much more than I do and lived through that history. But Daryl LaMonica was a big part of it. I mean, just a guy born in 1941 and, and a guy who was, put his hands in the dirt and worked his ass off his whole life, then became a brilliant athlete at Notre Dame and the Raiders. And the AFL history is tremendous here. So, again, there's... Uh, we all have a heavy heart today when this just happened. This happened, the confirmation came down 20 minutes before the show. I made a couple of phone calls to people and uh, got back to me and confirmed it. And it's been confirmed, you know, on social media by a lot of other athletes there. And tough to do. I've done many shows like this. Where you get hit, you get hit, yeah, Bobby, too many. Where you find out, you go to bed at night, you wake up in the morning, someone passes away. I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine about this. In my life, I've been very lucky, very blessed to know older athletes who I've said, I got one dad, my second dad's Fred Bolitnikoff. I think the world of Fred, you know that we've talked about that a bunch, but Jim Brown is getting very, very up there in age. Kareem, very up there in age. Kareem's 75, but there's this, you know, we got to pray for Kareem and his future. And then I look at Pete Rose, you know, the impact he had on my life. He just turned 81 and you look, and then I watched the Greg Norman documentary. If you didn't see that, the 30 for 30 on Greg Norman, the shark, brilliant. Greg Norman won two majors. He should have won eight. He was great. He collapsed at the Masters and all that. And they interviewed Jack Nicholas for it. And it's the most recent interview with Jack. And Jack's way up there. So you look at all the legends of our times who are getting up there. You got to embrace the moments you have with them. And, you know, for me today with Daryl LaMonica, I'm thinking of his life and what a great life. What a tremendous life. I can't imagine what Coach Flores and the Bolitnikoffs are going through and the Plunkets and especially Mrs. Davis and Mark. I mean, this is family. I've, I've tried to do my part in a very, very small way, just a tiny way of sharing with you the family that I get to know with the Raiders and the access that I've had to these family events and to see them together. When you see Daryl LaMonica sitting down with Jim Plunkett at dinner with their wives, and they're talking, and the Bolitnikovs are right there on the other side of the room. This is everything to them. They didn't make money. They didn't make money back in the day. They had second and third jobs. They had to grind through it. They had kids. They went to each other's weddings. They've done all this. It's really the foundation of Mark Davis. It is. The foundation of Mark Davis is the son of Alan Carroll Davis and what he learned in this massive family of the Raiders. And Mark, Mark's losing all of his friends and heroes. Clip Branch, which we're going to celebrate back in Canton later on this summer. So, again, there's people more prepared to talk about Daryl LaMonica's legacy than I am. I'm just so happy that he was a friend and someone that I got a chance to spend some good time with, especially recently. I, was, I wasn't shocked, but I was always amazed in Vegas. He's here. <laughs> We'd be at an event, Charles Woodson, Tom Flores, and there's Daryl LaMonica. 
and holding court because so many people respected him. So the Raiders will do a big job. We'll do a big job here on the flagship. If you want to call in on that, 702-365-9200. Coming up in a few minutes, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Big interview for us here. You got a coach who's accountable coming on the radio as they put themselves in a deep, deep hole, and now they have to dig out of it. Last night's game was incredible. Robin Leonard was pulled. Next thing you know, they, they're down 2-1. to one. Ovechkin is a sniper. He's taking shots all over the place. And the Raiders, uh, excuse me, the, the Golden Knights were able to weather the storm and get hot. And the Shea Theodore goal in overtime was incredible. I mean, I went nuts. I was on the air live when it happened, and they end up winning. Dodonov now in the neutral zone. Coming ahead left side. Cutting towards the middle all the way. They score! Overtime goal for Shea Theodore. The Knights win 4-3 in overtime. Dan Duva on the call. I watched the post game afterwards. And, you know, Millard and Gary Lawless, and as they were talking there, I mean, their back's against the wall. They they have to get two points. They have to win the rest of the way and then hope for some help. But I've been in that situation before. I grew up with the Yankees, Bobby. And you know, Yankees were 13 and a half out. In September, I've, I've seen great comebacks before. I'm not predicting it here, but I'm behind the Golden Knights. Coming up, uh, we will talk to their head coach. Brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. You should be living at PT's for the Golden Knights run. And he will join us coming up next. So we'll get into that. And we're paying tribute over the next couple of shows to the Mad Bomber, Daryl LaMonica, one of the great Raider legends of all time who passed away earlier today. You're listening to the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. Up high, Petrangelo. Right circle, Pacioretty. Max scans the middle. Lefty, top of the circle. Out in front, tipped home! Stevenson! Golden Knights take the lead. Chandler Stevenson, the former capital, puts the Knights in front for the first time today. 3-2 Golden Knights, three minutes into the third. That was big. JT, back with you as we continue here on Raider Nation Radio. It was a madhouse last night at T-Mobile Arena. We are thrilled to have the opportunity down the stretch here to talk to the head coach of the Golden Knights, Peter DeBoer. Peter, thanks for doing this, coming off the game last night. Really appreciate it. Anytime, JT. Let's get into first the big decision, which you're being given credit for and criticized, making the goalie change in the game last night. The decision to do that in real time, what was that like for you? Well, it's never easy. You know, I, I don't have a history of, uh, of uh, pulling the trigger early on, on making goaltending changes. I try and give the guys the benefit of the doubt. Um, but, you know, we're at a point in the season now where, uh, essentially, it's do or die, and uh, I didn't feel that uh, Robin looked comfortable, and I didn't uh, like how our team was playing 
you know, in front of them uh, based on that. So, you know, we did what we felt we had to do. Yeah, you did it and it paid off and it was a big moment in that game. The fact that you haven't done that much in the past, were you open to that? Did you, in warm-ups earlier in the day or, you know, going into the arena that night, was that something in the back of your mind or something that quickly happened when you looked at the body language? Yeah, you know, no, you you don't go in thinking about that. I think, uh, you know, when we were deciding on who was going to start, uh, you know, I thought uh, Robin had two real good periods against New Jersey uh, the other year, uh, and then in the third, let in a couple I, th- I felt he'd like to have back. Um, I wanted to give him the chance to respond. He's our starting goalie. Uh, he's the guy that's getting paid like a starting goalie here. He's fresh. He's he's had a tough uh, year with injuries and some things, but He's in a good place now health-wise, and, uh, you know, I I wanted him to grab it and run the table with it. But, you know, when we got into the first period there and, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't didn't feel our team or him look comfortable. Uh, You know, we, we made that decision. Peter DeBoer is our guest. You know, Peter, this situation for you now, pretty much having to win out, uh, dating back to your days as a player and an assistant coach and a head coach, have you been in a situation like this before and are you embracing the opportunity to see what you have with the culture, which has always been strong in that locker room to get the most out of these players, especially your leaders in these remaining games? Yeah, you know, you always learn something about yourself and your group uh, when you when you get put in uh, positions of adversity and, and there's no more adversity than, than this, you know, if you, if you lose, you're probably uh, your season ends in a week. So uh, it's a lot like elimination games in the playoffs. And we've had a bunch with this group over the last two or three years, game sevens, uh, mm-hmm. elimination games where we've had success and, and we've also uh, faltered. So every time you get in, put in those spots, you'll, you learn about the people you're working with. Peter DeBoer is our guest. I want to talk about injuries. Injuries are part of the game. We all understand that. So aside from how the impact affects you on the ice, can you share how important the impact is on the culture and the locker room when players are coming and going and rehabbing and you're getting an opportunity to put this roster out and build this lineup dealing with all the injuries this year? Yeah, the, the injuries have been something that uh, I, I have never seen before uh, in my my time in the NHL. This is my 14th season. It, it's been one after another. I, I thought we did a real good job the first half of the year of, of uh, weathering the storm and finding a way. And we we used uh, a lot of the kids from Henderson, and they came up and gave us good minutes. Uh, you know, and and we you know everyone had in their mind the second half uh, the injuries would be behind us and we'd be able to put our full roster out there and uh essentially it actually got worse in the second half we mm-hmm. lost more key people at, at different times so it's been an ongoing thing all year i think our group uh, has done a really good job i think if you look at the teams with similar man games lost injuries uh, most of them have been eliminated from the playoffs you know weeks ago so I think, I think our group's done a good job of, uh, of staying alive here, and uh, we're starting to get some bodies back. But it's not as simple as that. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Mark Stone misses three or four months. Matt's pack, Turetti misses six or eight weeks. You don't just jump right back in the lineup and, and are uh, moving at, uh, at game speed. It takes a little while, and I think every night those guys get better. 
Peter DeBoer, the head coach of the Golden Knights, kind enough to join us, the sister station of the flagship here, as we are the flagship also of the Vegas Golden Knights at Lotus. I want to ask you about the Jack Eichel move. When it's being done above you, obviously with management and ownership, and you get a chance to get one of the best sharpshooters and players in all of hockey coming off an injury and have to find a way to get him up to speed, incorporate him in your culture with your coaches and all of that, how has that worked out? Well, I'm a big Jack Eichel fan. Mm-hmm. I think this this guy is going to be a, a really special player uh, for Vegas for a long time. Uh you know, he's one of those rare breed uh, of players that are really hard to find. He's he's a six foot two, six foot three, two hundred and ten pound, powerful centerman with great speed. Uh, he can distribute. He can score. Uh, he's twenty five years old, so his best days are still ahead of him. Um, you know, but he's coming off missing essentially a year of hockey and a, and a serious. Uh, surgery uh to his neck and you know he's one of those guys that i think has gotten better and better uh you know every game he's been back but he's only been back for for 20 some odd games as a fan and also a member of the media here and i'm more of a fan when it comes to the team and i look at how many goal scorers you have and potentially how hot they can get at times it's frustrating to me when some of them you know go through a rough patch and they're not as productive as they should be how frustrating is that knowing that you have the goal scorers especially in this final stretch where any one or two of them or three of them can get hot and carry the load well, I mean, you know, we want to win every night, and everyone wants to score every night. There's only so many Alexander Ovechkins, though, that you can count yeah, on for, right, for a right. goal and for a goal a night. So, I think that's the idea of building depth. Um, you know, so that if if one guy goes dry, like like it happens everywhere around the league on a, on every team, uh, someone else picks up the slack. And you know, I think I think our depth's been compromised a little bit. Riley Smith's had an excellent year for us; been one of our best goal scorers this year. You know, he's not available to us. That's a guy that, on a night Jack Eichel or Mark Stone doesn't score, uh, you count on Riley to kick one in for you. So, um, you know, I, I think they go hand in hand. Peter DeBoer, as we wrap it up, there's so many changes in hockey compared to other sports. There's player movement. There's coaching changes all the time, and I know you're in a tough spot, uh, spot here, Coach, and knowing that you don't control your own destiny, what has to be the mindset here over the next four games? Well, we've just got to win, win all the games. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I said that uh, prior to the Washington game. I think we've got to win out to give ourselves a chance to get in the playoffs. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I think this group can do it. We've faced uh, as much or more adversity than any team in the league this season with some of the cards we've been dealt, and We've managed to uh, keep our head above water, and we plan on uh, continuing to do that. What have you learned about this fan base? I mean, this, I wouldn't say spoiled, but you come into the league, you're an inaugural team, you go to the Stanley Cup final, and then a deep playoff runs here. you got a lot of loyal fans, frustrated fans, sports radio fans that expect this team to go much farther. But you pointed out the injuries and the ups and downs this year. When you talk to the fans, you interact with them, what are you hearing from them? Yeah, well, of course, uh, you know, they're frustrated and they expect big things uh, from this team. And, and, you know, we do, too. I mean, we we get that. And, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, I'm the guy that's responsible for that as the coach. You know, I I would tell them that uh, uh, I point to Tampa as kind of the flagship 
uh, organization in the last decade. They've won two cups. Uh, they lost Steve Stamkos for the year uh, after going to the final prior to winning two cups and, and missed the playoffs. When, when you have injuries to keep people like that, it, it's really hard to overcome. And, uh, you know, I think our guys have have stuck in there and, and, and fought tooth and nail and are going to continue to do that. One lineup question as we wrap it up. I'm assuming, is it fair to say that it's a feel for goaltender the rest of the way here? And do you expect to be more aggressive in mixing these lines or go with the comfortability of these lines and everybody being familiar with each other? Well, we we loved how we played uh, in the second and third period last mm-hmm. game. So, you know, we're going to continue uh, with that into the next game. But if we have to make changes uh, because things aren't going well, we'll, you know, we're not afraid to do that. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you calling in and doing this, especially with so much on the line here and the players and the pressure. Uh, really accountable by you coming on with us. Thanks for doing this. Anytime, JT. Thanks. You got it. Peter DeBoer, uh, as he's made changes, he is backing up those changes here. Uh, we talked about mixing and matching the lines, the injuries, Jack Eichel. I mean, it's gut check time now. I mean, look, any question you could ask him, he knows the situation they're in. He's not the GM. He's not the president of the team. He doesn't control his own destiny. And he's got to count on these players picking him up. These players got to pick up the coach. And, again, I've been really frustrated, as I said to him, about how some of these goal scorers at times go into a funk. I've always thought the strength of this team that was always going to bail them out is they'd always have guys hot. So if Mark's not hot, Carlson's going to pick him up. Pacioretty's out, and he's not hot. Someone's going to come in, Jack Eichel, and get on a run. You got a lot of really good potential goal scorers on this team. It's hard to score. I mean, it's hard to score. You only get a few minutes out, and you're out there, and the next thing you know, you're going up against a hot goalie. You're frustrated. But it's a shame they put themselves in this situation. But as he just said, he's never seen anything like this before. And I think he's a good coach. I really do. And I thought Gerard Gallant was a good coach. And look where he's got the Rangers. I don't think this team has to make massive changes overall. When you got Petrangelo, Stone, Pacioretty, Marciso, Eichel, you paid Robin Leonard. All of this, I mean, someone's got to step up and carry this team. Can they win four in a row? Absolutely, because when they're closer to full strength, they're as good as any team in hockey. And I really believe what's a shame about this whole season for them is that they were playing with the lead, if they were already in the playoffs, even as a low seed, that you could shut down these guys, get them rest, they're already in, and then explode in the postseason. And all those guys have been in that locker room going, we're going on this run. They can't do that now. Every game is a one-game must-win. Gary Lawless, who's fantastic, fantastic last night, said on the post-game show, they were asking him about the winning four in a row, and he's like, no, stop. One. It win Sunday against San Jose. Forget about winning four in a row, the Dallas game and all that coming up. You got to win Sunday to stay alive. And I expect this team to do it. I think they should come out. Ed Graney, our teammate over here, wrote an interesting column today. Uh, He said, odd time for DeBoer to be playing games with the goalies. Well, I asked him about the decision and how, how did he make it. He made it on a gut feel when he looked at Robin Leonard and he didn't think he was, quote, unquote, comfortable. So you yank him. I believe Robin Leonard's been a disappointment. Okay? He's been a disappointment He's played in some big games. He's made some big stops. 
He has to live in the shadow of Marc-Andre Fleury, who is a legend in this town, period. So Robin Leonard and what's happened to him in the past, there's a lot of pressure on him to perform. And when you look at Logan Thompson and what they're trying to do, I give him credit for having the balls to make a decision and go and pull Leonard. That took a lot because if Logan Thompson, who was, he got 15 games in his career, if he melts down and they give up four goals, that's a different – matter of fact, Peter DeBoer is not coming on with me today if that happens. Give the guy credit for pulling it. He's dealing with injuries, and he knows what's at stake. And I'm fired up for this because I want a miracle to happen. I know you do. And it's a big part of our town here in Vegas. So thanks to the head coach, Peter DeBoer, for joining us. Very accountable for him. When, I, when they told me this morning that he's coming on, I said, okay, that, that's cool when that happens. That's like talking to a head coach after a loss in football. And I did that every week with Gruden and Basaccia last week. It's a different interview when you're dealing with someone coming off a loss with pressure than coming off a win, but the pressure mounts for Peter DeBoer to stay here as the head coach and for this team to react, and the team should react, and we should demand this team to react. They're getting paid a lot of money. Petrangelo, Eichel, Pacioretty, Stone, the amount of money that Mr. Foley gave these guys, really gut check time for them as we get going. Thanks again to Golden Entertainment, PT's. 64-plus locations here. They are a proud partner of VGK. And that's where you'll find me and where you should be watching these games down the stretch. Very important. PTs, they fuel the monologue, and we appreciate that interview there with Peter DeBoer. Very impressed that he wanted to do that today, and we're going to do interviews like that when the time is right. The Raiders get the ball in the 32 or 33. Holy Toledo, one more shot they have. Well, this is stringing it right to the end. They may not have another one. It's 13-7 New York. Eight seconds to go. LaMonica comes in. Wells is back in for Bolitnikov. He's to the left. Sherman to the right. Loose quarterback coverage. They're way off. They don't want to give up the bomb. LaMonica's back. He's throwing deep for Wells in traffic. It's better room. Wells catches the ball. Wells has caught the ball. Wells has caught a touchdown. And it's time. 13-13. Three New York Jets. Three of them were all over Wells. They batted them all up in the air. Wells caught it. Falling down. The I don't believe it. One second left. The conversion to be time. This is ridiculous. This is utterly ridiculous. The Raiders had a chance to win it. It's when they can tip the conversion. What a call by Bill King, the mad bomber on a mad bomb to win a game. JT, back with you. The passing of Daryl LaMonica today, one of the great Raider legends. If you want to call in on this, we'll do it again tomorrow. I'm sure the shows that are coming up later today will be talking about it. 702-365-9200, the impact that Daryl LaMonica had on your life as a Raider fan is the least that we can do. Thanks to head coach Peter DeBoer, who joined us from the Vegas Golden Knights. We appreciate the Golden Knights uh, making that happen today as they are in a must-win situation the rest of the way. Must-win situation the rest of the way. They have to 
unfortunately run the table and get a little bit of help, but they can do that with these matchups, and they have an opportunity to play uh, Dallas down the stretch too. Bobby decided next hour we're going to play one of our two Daryl LaMonica interviews. We had two uh, recent ones, 2020 and 2021. So we'll play one of them next hour as we are also lining up a couple other guests. 702-365-9200. Wanted to mention the NBA last night and what happened in that Celtics-Brooklyn game. Kevin Durant did not score in the second half and had four turnovers, which to me is one of the most incredible moments I've ever seen from one of the greatest players to ever game. I mean, Durant's an all-timer, and he shriveled in that game. He absolutely shriveled in that game, and he was nowhere to be found. So when you take a look at Kyrie Irving, who was fined uh, $50,000, he and Durant were in a very tough situation, and they weren't able to step up and do anything. Really surprised by that. Could not believe that those guys didn't show up in crunch time of a game like that. So now Boston is up 2 nothing. taking a look at some of the highlights from that game. Jalen Brown had a little bit of Michael Jordan in him. He was taking off from the top of the key and getting layups and hitting jump shots. Here's a critical three. Horford comes out to set a screen. Jalen, pull up three. Oh! Got it! Oh, man. Somebody help me. That was an incredible shot there. And Jason Tatum had a great game in game one. He had to come up big, and he came up big down the stretch to put Brooklyn away. Smart bounce pass for Tatum. Tatum with Dragic on him. Six on the shot clock. It's slowed down here. It's going to be Tatum. Pull up three. Oh. Got it! Yeah, it can't be real. It was real. They were incredible the way they were able to do that down the stretch. And then Pritchard, a no-name guy, no-name guy for the Celtics, outscores Durant and Kyrie in the fourth quarter to put it away. Shot clock at seven. Pritchard down the right side, attacks the paint, puts it high up the window and in. The Nets let the entire clock tick down. They didn't foul. And then Peyton Pritchard, in the biggest game of his life, just goes the distance and ends the suspense. Peyton Pritchard outplays Kyrie Irving after Kyrie Irving was flipping off the fans in Boston. That is shocking to me. Incredible story there, too. I wanted to play a piece of sound before the top of the hour that I think is important that I heard last night. Jay Wright is retired as the head coach of Villanova at the age of 60, kind of abruptly. And I mentioned him a week ago about, I didn't know he was going to retire, no one did, about him potentially taking over the Lakers. He's good enough to be the head coach of the Lakers. He's won two titles, coached on the Olympic squad. This is a legit guy. So I'm watching Charles Barkley last night on TNT and, you know, Charles played in Philadelphia. Villanova's there. Listen to what Barkley said about the retirement. Jay, uh, Villanova Nation's going to miss you. We're going to miss you. Uh, you and your wife have a great retirement, and we love you. And if you just do decide to coach the Lakers, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, uh, first of all, Jay, you're not that stupid. Um, uh, Jay, don't if, if oh you're not going to the Lakers. You're not going to take a job with players older than you. Um, <laughs> you know, one cool thing about the Hall of Fame is when you go in, somebody has to bring you in. And when Jay called me last year and said, "Hey, would you bring me into the Hall of Fame?" It's, it's one of the coolest phone calls you can get. And I said, "Of course." He's been a friend of mine since 1985, even when he was just like a, an assistant at Villanova, grad assistant. 
He's one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. He's obviously a great coach. Uh, when my daughter wanted to go to Villanova, uh, he took great care of her. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being a friend. And uh, him and Patty are just amazing. Uh, so shout out to the, the Villanova, the Wildcat Nation. But, Jay, thanks for being a friend. How about that? I didn't know that. So Barkley inducts him into the Hall of Fame, and they're that good of friends. That really knocked me down last night when I heard that. That's the best show on television. Sorry. Best pre and post. I, I like the NFL on Fox on Sunday. But when it comes to Ernie and Kenny and Shaq and Charles, there's nothing, nothing as good as that. Uh, Miguel Cabrera did not get his 3,000 hit today. Uh, Detroit beat the Yankees 3-0 the final in a day game. Miguel Cabrera at 2,999. So I thought he would get it. Thought he would get it easy today, and he didn't get it there. But the Yankees get shut out. How, how do the Yankees get shut out? Joey Gallo. Oh, for, uh, excuse me, one for four. Joey Gallo from Bishop Gorman. All right, I would root for this kid more than anybody and in modern era for the Yankees. Went to Bishop Gorman where my sons went. He's batting 135. Joey Gallo, a Bishop Gorman, a gold glover and an all-star is batting 135. That's hard to do. When we come back, we'll play a Daryl LaMonica interview from a couple of years ago. He passed away today. The Raider Nation has a heavy heart. We should all be commenting and talking about the Mad Bomber.